Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. We're going to be finishing up the chapter number 3, Lord willing. We'll finish up chapter number 3. And then next week we'll be moving on in to chapter number 4. And things, things are starting to happen. Well, I say things are starting to happen. Things have been happening all along. Boy, I mean, a whole world's been created. But uh, uh, we're starting to move along through man and what goes on in the life of man. And so a, a lot of things will be transitioning over the next few weeks. And so I'm excited about what the Lord has for us here in the book of Genesis. Last week we looked at the beginning of chapter number 3. And, of course, chapter number 3 of Genesis... The subject of chapter number 3 is the fall of man. And so in chapter number 3 we see how that man went from perfection to the center. He went from a perfect environment to being cast out of the garden. Mankind fell in Genesis chapter number 3, uh, one of the saddest chapters in the Bible to see how man could make that decision and, and bring all of mankind into condemnation. But last week as we looked at chapter number 3, we just looked at the beginning of the chapter, the first six verses, and we looked at the subtlety of Satan and how that Satan drew the attention of Eve to that forbidden tree and he tempted her to disobey God and take of the fruit. And of course in verse number 6 we read uh, the tragic verse that they took of the fruit and did eat. And whenever we look at those verses and say we see that Satan entered that snake and Satan slithered up to Eve, uh, I believe that Satan's desire, this is my personal thought, I believe that Satan's desire was to retaliate uh, against God. Here we are thousands of years later and he's still trying to retaliate against God. Satan rose up against God uh, in heaven and God cast him out and ever since then Satan has been trying to retaliate against God. And he here in Genesis chapter number 3, we see that God had completed creation and mankind was the crown jewel of creation. This was the part of creation that was made in God's image. This was the part of creation that was made to interact with God and fellowship with God. And I believe that the devil said, I'm going to get a jab in on God. You know, 2,000 some years later, the devil still hadn't figured it out. 6,000 years later, the devil still hasn't figured out that he's not going to win. But he said, I'm going to get a jab in here and I'm going to go to the crown jewel. I'm going to go to his prized creation. I'm going to go to what he prizes above everything else and I am going to trip them up. I truly believe the devil came with the intent of rising up against God and destroying and undermining God's creation. And when we read Genesis chapter number 3, we find that the devil appears to have been successful. So last week we looked at the subtlety of Satan and this week we're going to be looking at the success but also the failure of of Satan. But as we look at here at these verses, we'll see uh, that it does appear uh, that Satan experienced some success, but he also met with serious failures. So we'll look at verse number 7, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll dive into this passage. The Bible says, well, let's start with verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have, Lord, to come to your house. And now, Lord, as we take a few minutes, Lord, to just look at this passage of Scripture and, Father, to understand, uh, Lord, that there were some areas in which it seems that the devil was successful, but then, Lord, we see that in the end, uh, Lord, it is you that is victorious. And, Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray, dear Lord, that we will understand the passage and its meaning and that, Father, we will be able to make application to ourselves. Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be with the uh, CG3 uh, program downstairs, be with the teen meeting downstairs. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless and be with uh, Pastor Kent and Aiden, uh, Lord, as they lead these and the others that are working and helping. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be with them. Bless us, Lord, as we look into your word. Thank you for your goodness, and Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We read here this passage of Scripture and, and we realize that when Adam and Eve lifted that forbidden fruit to their lips and they sunk their teeth into the flesh of that fruit, and I, I, I was thinking about this today, and you know, uh, the Bible says that Eve looked at the fruit and she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. So it looked like it was going to taste really good. But I have to imagine that when they sunk their teeth into it, it was not what they expected. When, when I place my dad lived, uh, I lived there in West Virginia. Uh, one of the places where we lived, uh, we had several persimmon trees. There were a lot of persimmon trees everywhere. And now persimmons are a very, very delicious fruit, but only if they're ripe. 
Otherwise, they are terrible. And actually, when a persimmon is ripe, a persimmon does not look good. Uh, you need to let it frost on that thing a couple times. It needs to look about half rotten, and that, now that persimmon's getting good. If it looks good, though, it's not good. Well, my sister was dating a boy from Pennsylvania, and he would drive down to visit my sister, you know, and they were sitting on the front porch. And so I walked up and had a handful of green persimmons. Now, when a persimmon is green, it looks nice. It's a pretty fruit. And I said, Jay, have you ever had a persimmon? He said, no, I never even heard of them. I'm like, oh, you got to try one. They are delicious. Now, I wasn't lying. Persimmons are delicious. I said, they're delicious. And he's like, Really? Well, you know, he didn't want to seem, you know, odd in front of his girlfriend there, and so he just reached out and got one and bit into it. And what Jay tasted was not what Jay expected. <laughs> him and my sister almost broke up, I believe, because she didn't warn him <laughs> not to eat the persimmon. I have to believe, though, that when Eve looked at the fruit and when she took the fruit and when she bit into the fruit, although it looked appealing, it wasn't Almost immediately she recognized it wasn't what she thought it would be. And you know this is exactly true of how sin works. The devil promotes it, he pushes it, he puts it out there in front of you and you'll decide that you're going to try it. And you try it and it's never what you thought it was. I've heard many, many, many stories of fellows who decided they were going to try to smoke. Now, the Lord has blessed me, and uh, I was raised by a preacher, and the Lord protected me. Not that I'm anyone great, but the Lord protected me from ever trying that. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of guys that did. And they're like, you know, we just won't be cool and all this. And so they got their cigarette, and they lit it up, and they coughed and choked and coughed and choked. But you know what the funny thing about it is? They did it again, and they did it again. Although it wasn't what they expected, they were so drawn in, they did it again and again and again, which is exactly what we see happening here. I have to believe that when Eve bit into the fruit, it wasn't as delicious as she expected. But she didn't tell Adam, this is nasty. She said, here, you try a bite. Just the way that sin works in our day. But we see, we see here that the Adam and Eve, they reached and they got that fruit and they sunk their teeth into it. And whenever they sunk their teeth into the flesh of that fruit, I believe that Satan uttered an evil laughter. I believe that he just laughed. At, what do they call it? A maniacal laugh or maniacal? Maniacal. There you go. A maniacal laugh. An evil laugh. Yeah. <laughs> he just let that laughter out because he had won. Here was God's prized possession. Satan gave a, a five-minute uh, temptation and they fell and he was victorious. You know that he had to feel that his plan had worked. God's perfect little beings were now corrupted. Uh, uh, Satan had been victorious. As we look at verse 7 to 13, I see several results of man's sin that I'm sure Satan considered to be successes. The first result of man's sin that put an evil smile on Satan's face was that man's disobedience drove man to desperate attempts of self-righteousness. 
Man's sin drove man to desperate attempts of self-righteousness. Now remember, before they ate of the fruit, man did not need to try and pursue self-righteousness. But once they ate of the fruit, man immediately began trying to create his own righteousness. The Bible tells us there in verse number 7, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now there's a lot of speculation that goes into um, what took place, that they realized that they were naked, what was the condition beforehand, and so forth and so on. And honestly, the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, so that's about all we can do. But it has been speculated, and, and it's a, a speculation that I think is probable. It's been speculated that before they ate of the fruit, they were made in the image of God. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 104 that God wears light as a garment. I believe I have Psalm 104 right here. Uh, Psalm 104 too, who covereth thyself with light as with a garment. And so it's been speculated that before the sin that Adam and Eve may have been clothed with a light, with a radiance, with something that, that just kind of encompassed them with light. Now, like I said, it's a speculation and we don't know, but the speculation is that when they sinned, the light went out. And when the light went out, they became very aware of their physical being in a way they'd never been aware of it before. They became aware of their insignificance. They became aware of how, how frail they were and how exposed they were because the glory of God was gone. Now, whether or not that is true, I cannot say uh, definitely. Uh, but I do know that it's very true that when I am right with God and I'm in a good relationship with God and I'm being faithful to God and I'm being led by the Spirit and I'm responding to the Spirit, that I'm not near as aware of my physical frailty as I am after I sin. And when I commit a sin against God and I've broken that relationship and I'm no longer communicating and being led by the Spirit, I become very aware of how how frail I am as a human, and you've experienced this as well, I start trying to cover up my sin. Now, whether or not there was a light around them, I do not know, but I do know that something took place that made Adam and Eve aware of their physicality more than they had ever been before. And when they became aware of it, they said, we've got to cover it. Uh, we've got to hide this. Uh, and you know what? Man will always try to cover his sin. Man will always try to find some way in himself uh, to cover his sin, to make up for his sin, to repay for his sin. And the devil has won when we begin pursuing self-righteousness. This newfound knowledge revealed Adam and Eve's inadequacy. And as a result, it drove them to desperate attempts of self-righteousness. We see here that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And in eating of the fruit, they realized that Satan's product was not as good as he had drummed it up to be. And the knowledge that Adam and Eve gained by eating the fruit did not enrich them, but rather it distressed them. The devil said, you'll know more than you know now, and he did not lie. 
But what they learned distressed them. It did not build them up. It did not encourage them. It did not help them. Now, if we could run just a little rabbit trail right here. We have a world that is a know-now world. We have news outlets and opinion outlets and every other kind of outlet that is everywhere. And I think that there is a value in being informed. And I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't be informed people. But I think there is also a danger in constantly trying to stay up with everything that is going on everywhere rather than spending time in the Word of God. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in their relationship with God. But they wanted to know more. And what they found out distressed them. It did not enrich them. When, when Satan saw Adam and Eve trying to produce their own righteousness, he knew he'd been successful. Man was no longer relying on God, but was trusting in himself. In verse number 8, we see another success uh, that Satan had in causing men to sin. And that is not only did man begin to pursue their own righteousness, but he broke man's relationship with God. He broke the relationship with God. In verse number 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Satan had wanted to cause a division between God and man. This was what he wanted to do. And you know what? Anytime Satan tempts you to sin, it doesn't matter what he promises you with the temptation. Maybe he promises you a good time. Maybe he promises you financial success. Maybe he promises you prestige and being well known. Whatever it is. Maybe he promises you pleasure. Whatever it is that he promises you, what he is really after is to divide you from God. And never forget, when the devil tempts you, he is the father of lies. Now, when I offered my brother-in-law the persimmon, I mean, they do taste good certain times of the year. But Satan will offer you a fruit that never tastes good and promise you that it'll always taste good. There, he doesn't feel like there has to be an element of truth of what he's telling you. So he will promise you whatever it is you desire in order to draw you in, but his goal is always to separate you from God. So whenever that temptation comes your way, that the devil knows is your weakness, just remember, he's trying to break my relationship with God. That's the ultimate goal. That's why he's brought it to my mind. That's why I'm facing it again. He wants to break my relationship with God. We see here that Satan wanted to cause division between God and man, and he succeeded. Prior to their sin, Adam and Eve would have responded to the voice of God with anticipation and excitement. God is here. After their sin, they ran and hid. The relationship was broken. The third success of Satan's ploy is found in verse 9 and 10 where we see that disobeying the law of God distorted man's perception of God. Isn't it something how differently we see God when we're not in a right relationship with God? It distorts our perception of God. We could apply it to a, a very natural uh, uh, situation of the home. 
A child who is in obedience to their parent sees their parent one way, but when they're in disobedience to their parent, they see them completely different, although the parent has never changed. It distorted their perception of God. In verses 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Because of sin, man now feared his closest friend. Because of sin, man was avoiding who he used to enjoy. Because of sin, man thought he could hide from his Creator. It distorted his view. Boy, I tell you, sin will always distort man's view of his Creator. When you are right with God and you are in a relationship with God, you understand the fullness of God. You understand the power of God. You understand the goodness of God. Your heart is moved to worship God. But when there is sin in your life, you begin avoiding God. You don't want to be around God. You hate to even contemplate or or talk to God. The Word of God loses its thrill. Everything is gone. Why? Because sin will distort your view of who God is. Whenever you feel that you need to avoid God, remember He's the same God that He was before. He's just as good as He ever was. He's a God that wants to pour out just as many blessings as He ever did. The problem is not God. The problem is you. But sin will always distort our view. Sin always distorts our view and as a result, many men have spent years running from God. Consequently, sinning more and more against God, creating an even further uh, opinion of God, uh, incorrect opinion of God, getting further and further from God and the whole time God's not the problem. They are. Sin will always distort our view of God. Sin makes us think that God doesn't love us. Sin makes us think that God can't forgive us when in truth, God's desire is to restore us the whole time. Satan successfully distorted Adam and Eve's view of God. And then in verse 11 and 13, we see a fourth success in that he blinded man to his own failure. He blinded man to man's failure In verse 11, God speaking, and he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? You know, isn't it interesting that whenever we sin, we think God don't know? But he always knows. He's always on top of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I experienced this just just today. But I had something on my mind, and I was outside doing the chores, feeding animals and things, and I walked into the shed, and I... I sat down the bucket and I said, Lord, I just, this thing's on my mind. And honest, Brother Rick, it's as if the Lord said, I know. And I'm like, well, thank you. I'm glad you know. Because that's really all I wanted to tell you was that this was on my mind. <laughs> and just a piece, I know. You know what? He always knows. He always knows. And so we see here though that he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. 
and I did eat. Satan was successful in that he blinded man to his own failure. You know one of the biggest problems we have with getting right with God is blaming ourselves. We always want to have an excuse for why we did what we did and therefore because there's an excuse, I shouldn't have to repent. I shouldn't have to make it right because there was a reason. But you know what? Our sin is always our responsibility. God said, Adam, what have you done? And now, God is gracious, and God's graciousness is so seen here in this passage of Scripture. Because the first thing Adam did said, Adam did was he said to God, it's your fault. He said, the woman who you gave me, the woman who you gave me, that woman, it's your fault, God. You gave me a flawed partner. Oh, yeah. that might hit home, might it? <laughs> it's not my fault. It's her fault, God. God, you gave her to me, and then she gave me the fruit. I'm, God, I'm innocent. Yeah. I, I didn't do anything. It's, it's you and her. And you know what? God didn't accuse Adam. He didn't even rebuke him at this point. He's just like, okay, let's talk to the woman. I've, I've had this very same situation happen in my living room before. I'm like, all right, you two are fighting, so you tell me your story. And they always will say everything bad about this person. I'm like, okay. So I look at this person and say, what's your story? And they just point it right back over here. And I'm like, all right, now we got that clear. Let's go ahead and discipline both of you. That's the way this works. <laughs> don't have to do that much anymore now that they're grown up. I'm, I don't miss those days. But anyway, <laughs> we see here that they began pointing at one another. They began blaming someone else. And any time that Satan will convince you to sin, he will convince you it's not your fault. He will justify it in your mind. There will be something that you know is wrong. You know the Bible clearly says it's wrong. And yet if you commit that sin, you will justify it. Well, it's okay in my situation. It's okay because of this circumstance. It's okay, and we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of excuses. Satan was successful because Adam and Eve wasn't blaming themselves for their sin. And as long as you don't blame yourself, you will not repent. And as long as you don't repent, there will be no restoration. We have to take responsibility for our sin. We have to take ownership. It's my fault. I sinned against God. Then there can be repentance. Then there can be restoration. But Satan had been successful in blinding man to his own failure. Up to this point in this passage of Scripture, it seems that the devil has hit a home run, really. It seems that he's accomplished his goal. <clears throat> but as we read this passage, we need not forget who he was fighting against. And you know what? I praise the Lord that our Savior never loses. He is never defeated. He is never taken by surprise. Matter of fact, as we will see here, the devil played right into God's hand. He wasn't victorious. And in verse 14 and 15, we have some failures from Satan's plan. Satan thought that he had a good plan. He thought he was winning. But God wasted no time in communicating that he was still in charge and he quickly put the devil right back in his place. 
In verse 14, we see that God responded with immediate judgment. God said, Adam, what's going on? Adam said, the woman. God said to the woman, what's going on? She said, the serpent. And God said to the serpent in verse number 14, because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now there's all kind of ideas about what the serpent looked like before the fall. And I just have to be honest with you, again, we don't know. You know he'd give us a lot of peace every now and again to realize the Bible don't tell us everything. <laughs> And if God don't tell us, then it's not relevant to our life here on earth and we just accept it and move on. But there's all kind of speculation. What did the devil look like beforehand? Some say that maybe the, the, the or not the devil, but the snake, that maybe the snake walked upright. Maybe the snake had legs. Maybe the snake had wings and all kinds of speculation. But we don't know. But what we do know is that in chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says that he was one of the higher Animals. He was the most subtle of any animal in the garden. He was an animal that was to be revered. He was an animal that was admired. He was one of the animals that I believe was beautiful to look at. But in verse 14, he lost all of it. Regardless of what he looked like before, he is demoted now. God demoted the serpent. Now when we look at this, in verse number 14, we see a demotion of both the physical serpent as well as Satan who possessed the serpent. Now I'll just throw this in here. I've heard people really labor over how the, how the serpent spoke. And I believe it's pretty easy to understand how the serpent spoke, and that is the serpent was possessed of the devil. Throughout the Word of God, we find that demons would possess animals. I believe that the serpent was possessed of Satan, and that's how the serpent was able to speak. Some folks say, well, maybe animals could talk before the fall. Maybe they could. I just don't see it. You know, I just don't see that being a thing. I just, I believe that you, you have to bring in another entire element uh, in order for animals to be able to speak. And so I don't think that was it. Uh, how come was Eve not shocked by it? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that she wasn't shocked. She could have very well been like, what? I mean, if I was walking through the woods and a deer started talking to me, I'd stop and listen. I mean, I might be shocked, but I would listen. I'd try to record it so I could prove that I wasn't crazy. So we see here, I believe that the Satan possessed this serpent. And in this demotion, God demoted both the serpent, the physical serpent that was possessed, but he also demoted Satan. We see here, or we see in, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel that Satan was cast down from heaven. He was cast down. But here in verse number 14, he was demoted even further. He had been cast down, but now he is demoted to the lowest being on earth. He is demoted to the scum. He is the bottom. He is the dirt. He has been demoted. He that had been admired for his role in the angelic court was now despised more than any other being on earth. I believe that we see here in verse 14 an immediate judgment both on the serpent and Satan. But then in verse number four, 15, we see another failure. And that is that although Satan felt he was victorious, in verse number 15, God promised future defeat. In verse number 15, And I will put enmity between, thy, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, 
and thou shalt bruise his heel. We see verse 15 is what's known as the protevangelium. Yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> it's a funny long word. Uh, but what it means uh, is it's the first glimpse uh, of our, uh, the promise of the gospel right here in Genesis 3.15. We have a promise of the gospel. Here in this verse we have the seed of a woman. And I know we've heard this taught on many times, but we're going to take a moment to look at it again. The seed of the woman can only be speaking of the virgin birth because biologically the seed comes from the man. But the Bible here specifically speaks of the seed of the woman. The only way that this could be true is if it is a direct reference to the promised seed being miraculously implanted in the womb. So when we see that phrase, the seed of the woman, this is telling us that there is coming, there is coming a redeemer. There is going to be a virgin birth. This is a promise. Now I believe at that moment, Adam and Eve may have not grasped everything that this means. Matter of fact, in the next chapter, we'll be looking at Cain and Abel and their birth. And when we look at that, I believe that we will see that, I believe when Eve had Cain, uh, maybe there was even a possibility that she thought this was the promised seed. I don't think they grasped everything that was in Genesis 3.15, but we see that God was promising there's coming a deliverer. And then we see that the victory of the promised seed over the serpent uh, was proclaimed here. The serpent would bruise his heel at Calvary, but Christ would raise triumphant in power over death, hell, and the grave, and Satan would be defeated once and for all. We see here that Satan tempted the woman. The woman took the fruit. Adam took the fruit. God had to give a judgment. But the first thing that he did before he passed judgment on Adam and Eve he said, there's coming a deliverer. Satan, you might think you won. But before I even tell them the consequence of their sin, I'm going to let them know that you, Satan, are the loser here. Amen. You are the one that is lost. We see here, though, that sin is not without consequences. Brother Robbie and I was talking a little bit before service about this very thing. He said, some folks have the idea that forgiveness means no consequence. But that's not true. Sin always has consequence. You may live a life as a drunkard, and you may, towards the end of your life, give your life to Christ and, and no longer live that lifestyle. And God will forgive you of that sin. But you'll probably still have physical problems in your body as a result of the lifestyle that you lived. Someone can have a broken home. And they can get forgiven for that. They can wrongfully leave a spouse and God will forgive them. But there will still be consequences in the lives of the children, in the lives of the family because of the sin. And we could give more and more and more examples. There's always a consequence. And there was consequences to this sin. I have here the ultimate result. Two things. We'll finish this very quickly. First of all, the ultimate result of Adam and Eve's sin was hardship. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hath eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, 
thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. We see here hardship. The result of sin was hardship. Now, we suffer the consequences of Adam's sin in many ways even to this day and that we have to deal with the thorns and the thistles and we eat by the sweat of our brow and women are are, uh, burdened in childbirth. We still bear that. But this principle applies even more practically in that sin will always bring more hardship. A life of sin will always result in hardship. If you find someone who brags and glamorizes their life of sin, it's one of two things. They've either not been in it long because there's pleasure in sin for a season or they're lying about their true self because sin always brings hardship. It brings hardship into the home and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. It brings hardship in the field or in the workplace, cursed ground, thorns, thistles, sweat of the brow. So first of all, sin, the consequence of sin was hardship. But then the second consequence that we see is death. God said, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. We see here in verse number 21, or verse number 19, we go from dust to dust. You know, it's almost as if we understand from this verse why so many people feel that life is pointless because it's from dust to dust. Death has entered the world. Not only did death enter in that man returns to dust, but death entered in verse number 21 because we see a blood sacrifice. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Death entered by way of man returning to dust. Death entered by way of a need for a sacrifice. And then we see in verse number 24 that death entered and that the Bible says that he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, I do not know. Someone asked me the other day, how how long did the angel stay there at the garden? And I have to believe that the angel stayed there until the garden was destroyed. And I believe the garden was destroyed at the flood. I believe that For years, there was a place where there was an angel with a flaming sword that reminded man, because of your sin, you will die. Because of your sin, you have no access to the tree of life. Because of your sin, you have no eternity. You know what? I praise the Lord, though, that the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the tree of life will be in heaven and that we will be invited to partake of the tree of life. You know what? Because of man's sin, man will die. But I praise the Lord that in Genesis 3.15, he said, but there is a Redeemer coming. And when the Redeemer comes, the Redeemer will be victorious. And if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this sin that is keeping us from living eternally will be overthrown and we'll be invited to eat of the 
the tree of life and live forever. We see here the ultimate result is that death entered the world. Man sinned. And as a result, mankind was condemned. Every man and woman that's lived on the face of this earth since Adam has entered this world condemned. Death entered the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter number 5, that beautiful passage of Scripture, he said in verse number 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You drop down to verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment, came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We see here in the remainder of Genesis chapter number 3 the success and the failure of Satan. Satan said, I was successful and God said, no, you weren't. Satan said, I, I scored. And God said, no, you didn't. Satan said, I broke relationship. And God said, because of what you've done, I already had a plan of redemption in place and I'm going to restore man back to me. You didn't win, Satan. And you know what? The devil will never win. That's why it's better off when you're making choices in life that we choose God's side because he always wins. He always wins. So hope that's a blessing to you. I enjoy studying through this and learning. And uh, it, it never gets old. It never, ever, ever gets old. I read it over and over and over again. It never gets old. Tell the stories over and over. I tell you what, there's nothing like the